Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us please stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in the place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand now, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostolic Guardian to your divine hands, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The place of Holy Scripture, the letter to the Ephesian Church, chapter Luke, verses 24 and 44. You put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, into righteousness and holiness. As we know through the planted word on Sabbath, we know that on the golden table of showbreads we gain something, and on the next Sabbath we remove from it and together proclaim it. In doing so, eat of it. This is the order of Sabbath for our spiritual growth. And today we are in such a Sabbath where we will remove this bread. And so the right to set aside the former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life. So to set aside the old man growing corrupt in its deceitful lust in order to be clothed into the new man having the body of the Savior that has risen. And somebody is able to use this authority if they have renewed thinking and renewed mind. How he sees, how he understands, how he thinks is radically different, different from a person with unrenewed thinking. This can be compared to a computer program, an older version works differently than a newer version. And we cannot, their technology often cannot collaborate with older versions. Old It is necessary to change everything at its root, just as Moses, as he had done, protecting his brother. He had killed an Egyptian, and to 
be freed from the anger of the Pharaoh, he ran away. He did not understand his initial calling. He was called to destroy all of Egypt, and firstly in himself, and then, having destroyed it in himself, we must uproot Egypt from inside of us. Only in Moses' dwelling, daily dwelling, in the statutes, in the words of his father-in-law Jethro, that the land of Midian had changed Moses, and the word of God says that he led the flock away from the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb, after meeting with the Lord. He was shown his calling and how to fulfill this calling. How to, f- how to use this right to power or this right to anointing. And Moses had used this right and had fulfilled it when he came to the age. We are talking about the age of faith. First, Moses had stopped being called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Second, he had left Egypt. Third, with faith he had fulfilled the Passover. Fourth, by faith him and his people crossed over the sea. And Moses had fulfilled his calling and collaborated with the cross of Christ. And Apostle Paul writes that by faith, Moses, having come to age in relation to Christ, had considered it greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked upon the reward, and he became the most humble on the earth. So that which he had relied on, the staff, became the staff of God. His proclamations, his words, began to express the will of God, with which he became one whole. He proclaimed that which he heard from the Lord, just as we today proclaim that which we hear and have accepted from the man of God that has passed along the word of God to us. But time will come and Moses is going to be called to Horeb, but this will be later. What in fact do we need to do on our end in order to receive this legal right to the authority to set aside the former way of life in order to be clothed into a new way of life. The calling that serves, we that we see in the words of our pastor, this is the greatest revelation of the days, of the last days for the church, the bride, for the small chosen remnants, for God's holy remnant, the dove in the cleft of the rock and in the secret place of the cliff, and all those that have been able to find their dwelling in this place. So those that have heard this voice and have exited out of religious Babylon, where they left their opinion and selected their high calling, the calling of a disciple. We have already understood that our election defines our calling, or yields our calling. The majority of Christianity have not even heard about what we live according to today, what we are fed by, and what we fill our thinking with. In their majority, Christians are very busy with the things that fill them through their dead works that they think will lead them to salvation. We are called to accept the glory of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And we will live 
in a new body, which is going to be in the likeness of the body of our Savior. But we must not just remember these fateful words and to exercise them, but we must also become the words of the past. And right now, they are commanding and fundamental words, which we also hear in the form, always hear in the format of a command. And these are to renew, to set aside, and to clothe. There are certain places of scripture that bring me trembling, I think for you as well. And a few services ago, we had heard about such a place of scripture by Brother Anatoly. This was mentioned uh, when he had mentioned the word of our pastor. This was when Abraham had when Abraham was visited by God near the Mamre trees. And today, I always also tremble when I hear about this event. The Trinity appeared to Abraham, dined with him, and this was at the doorstep of certain events, fulfilling which closer relationship resists. And there are certain people that we are called not to share or dine with, dine at, share a table with. Imagine, we are presented a table before the Lord as a commandment and he has offered himself to us in his only son Jesus Christ how close these relations are when he is in us and we are in him if we worthily partake in this and the Lord has become our spiritual food then this food is worthy to be praised I saw in this image the appearance of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The appearance of these three in our lives, in fellowship with us, in the t- on the table with us, which continues today, to set aside defines the Father, His will, His intention for us. To set aside is with the Son, Jesus Christ, with His renewal in us. And to be clothed is the work of the Holy Spirit, clothing us in our life so that we are clothed and could be in the image and likeness of Him. And with these words, which, according to the mercy of God, continues, this table that we eat of continues. And are we eating of it in the full measure? and this depends fully on us. The doors of our heart are called to be opened like Abraham's tent was. Abraham was found at the entrance of his tent. This is the time for his waiting, because if he was in his tent, this would he be his pondering. Vigilance of the new man, which brought him to meet with the promise of God, which he had watered for many years, just as we today do. And he called the inexistent as existent which gave him, as us today, the opportunity to work with the word that we hear. 
by Pastor, it was highlighted the entrance into the tent of Abraham are his lips bridled with meekness. And we must remember that Abraham himself is the image of our new man living in our body. And to also understand and remember that figuratively this is not just Abraham, but Sarah as well that dwells in us. They both together represent the image of the new man. They, as us, submitted to God and had forgotten their nation, the house of their father, as well as their corrupt lusts. Abraham and Sarah is the image of the new man created by God in Christ Jesus and righteousness and holiness of truth. They pursue one goal, but they represent the image of our new man, but simply different functions. The functions of Abraham in the new man is comprised of producing the seed, whereas the functions of Sarah in the new man is comprised of fertilizing oneself with the seed. And these two functions are found simultaneously in the new man. They are found in us. What is astonishing is that this day, at the, this day in the evening, the Lord approached Sodom, where Lot was also, but not at the entrance of his tent, but at the entrance of Sodom. And he was turmoiled in his soul. Lot, who had left with Abraham, the Ur of Chaldeans, is our renewed thinking. Lot is the image of our soul. Abraham, our new man. Lot, our soul, which gains redemption through our new man. Both in one day sat in the new man in the face of Abraham intercedes to protect five cities from the anger of God, the five human senses. The Lord had promised to Abraham that if in these cities he finds ten righteous, then for them he is going to have mercy on them. But this intercession, we know there was not ten righteous in this city. And then according to the prayer of Abraham, the Lord took Lot with his two daughters out of Sodom and he took them to Sigur. Question, why did God have mercy the small city on Sigur and this city became refuge for Lot from the anger of God Brother Gadi calls this city a great cardinal the thing is is that in the small city which was an image of one of the five senses and the subject of our taste and is defined by our tongue which despite despite its small size is the door through which the Lord can enter the Lord as well as Satan scripture says that the tongue is a small thing but does many things and depending on our decision it can partake to the work of our salvation or the work of our condemnation it is this event that had prompted God to not destroy Sigor and as soon as Lot had came to Sigor which became a city of refuge to him where God had saved him from his anger his anger with which he had burned Sodom this city became the city of Lot's salvation which means in fullness to save our spirit soul and body on Friday brother Daniel said when we speak we use our body this is our tongue first our tongue is like a serpent it's when we take the serpent or the snake by the tail 
then we take rulership of him and this snake becomes our rod which we can then lean on yes before this we yell woe to me who will deliver me from this body of death therefore the spirit soul and body are called to be protected in their fullness therefore rejoicing together our partaking to the calling which we know is to be clothed into the new man and the lord will promise will fulfill what he has promised through the words of his messengers the fulfillment of the promise in our life and destruction of the program of reigning sin and with regard to this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of god's mercies we need prayer and worship and any kind of help we express in the any kind of help we receive is through prayer and worship and this is the only means through which a person can either take or can simply communicate with god and as pastor had already defined prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth and we are called to give god this right only on his established conditions one of the prayers of david that is written in psalm 143 which gives god the right to interfere with his mercy in david's life within the legal framework of truth and this has become the subject of our study Psalms 143, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground, he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed, I remember the days of the old, I meditate on all your works, I muse on the work of your hands, I spread out my hands to you, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies, and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. And so, to be heard by God, as we see, it was necessary for David to present to God a certain foundation or a certain right, which could serve for God as enough evidence or an argument to interfere in David's life with his mercy and his truth, which, of course, will serve for us. And we saw ten arguments or ten reasons which David had brought to God in prayer, saying, Hear me. Therefore, he says, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth. Hear me because I remember the days of the old and all of your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me because I trust in you. Hear me because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me for I run to you. 
Hear me, because you are my God. Hear me for your name. Hear me for your mercy. Hear me, because I am your servant. What's important is that these ten arguments presented to God by David are in wonderful balance with one another. They do not oppose one another, and they verify the authenticity of one another. And today, we will focus our attention to the nature of the second argument. Like all the other arguments, give God the legal right to stand on David's behalf and to help resist enemies. Oftentimes, we use the word legal. And let's look at the definition. Legal. Legality. This is all that is tied to laws, mandates, their knowledge, and their application. Legal laws means those coinciding to the legislation, which means that there is a legislature, legislator, just like in every government there is a legislative government. In the oceans, the seas, the planets, in the air and on the sea, everything submits to the laws of the legislator. The fallen cherubim and those that have been led away by him resist this law. That which we hear today, the words that we hear from our pastor, those words that we accept and submit to, and having been clothed in it, which is presented for us in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. You've noted that each time when we say the teaching of Jesus Christ, we always add, who came in the flesh. In this significance, it means that the full definition of salvation for the spirit, soul, and body, therefore the Son of God, was clothed in the body of a man. He had showed its significance, its partaking to the full salvation of a person and full victory of a person, being found still in the body on this earth. And therefore, the teaching of Jesus today is the only faithful and legal step to destroy the program of the fallen cherubim to destroy His authority in our spirit, soul, and body, which also means to restore God's legislation to the spirit, soul, and body, which will return to a person His calling and His portion, and therefore the spirit, soul, and body of a person are the portion of the Lord. And the angels that had followed after the fallen cherubim, so the 30%, those that were swayed by His sermons of half-truths, in doing so, they were found in these snares. I always thought, oh, how could they believe in all of this? But we see in our life, the same thing happens. There's nothing new happening. What did he say to Eve? Has God truly said, did God truly say this? Did your pastor truly say this? You might say, nothing negative that came from his lips, but as soon as he began to understand... Therefore, when people say, does your church say this, this is a snare. When others say, go and listen elsewhere. There's nothing worse than the half-truth or the truth that is not fully told. I remember in that service where we had previously been before many years ago, 
there was a large picture in many churches. The walls were covered with pictures from texts of Holy Scripture with nature, and on the background there was a scripture uh, that says, God is love. And whenever you came from home from work, you saw this portrait that would say, God is love. I will ask you, is this the truth? Yes, on one hand, yes, this is the truth. Okay, well then where is God the judge? If this is His holy love, this means that it is selective. And if it is just love, then who he whom God loves, him he punishes. Do you think you'd like to look at this kind of a portrait? People want to feel loved. Or there was another picture. We preach the Christ who died for our sins. Is this the truth? Yes. Or where is where are the words he who rose for a resurrection? When I see that Christ was crucified for my sins, I understand that there was a price paid for me. But where is the teaching about justification? It lacks. You see how people don't speak the full truth. Therefore, we have accepted the full truth that collaborates not just with the spirit, but also with the soul and the body and will keep them in all its fullness. And this ability will allow us to offer the fruit of the Spirit through our obedience, through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. As we say, the obedience of a soldier to the general faith, to, to the faith of God, the generalissimus. This quality is very important. Faith and submission. Obedience. Obedience. We ought to be obedient. That seed that we have accepted, it must be sown, it must die, it must be watered, grown, and it must offer be, offer fruit for us to become kings over ourselves, to rule over ourselves, and thanks to this state to become a sacrifice, and as we note, a living sacrifice. And this means that in the spirit, soul, and body of a person, and speaking of the laws of the universe, the program of death will be destroyed when we, with our lips, will proclaim it. And the time has come for the fulfillment of God's promise, the reign of the resurrection of Christ in the body of a person. You will ask, why has it come? Well, because it has already been spoken by the prophet of God because we have already been lifted to God, to the rock that is higher than us, from the heights of which we see these precious promises, and we look upon them with the eyes of faith. And those that are not found on these heights, they know nothing of these promises, and they don't speak of them because they've never heard of them nor seen them. That's why we are living at the door, at the doorstep of these wonderful events. A bright illustration that can serve as a definition given by our pastor, which again in greater detail was presented by us by Daniel not long ago. It says, the seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ signifies in our body the power of eternal life, changing it from the state of terrestrial to a celestial state. The seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ Let's again define what is the seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ. The seed of truth 
is the fruit, the fruit of righteousness. Okay, what is the fruit of righteousness? And we know that this is our changed character. This is our righteousness, which we which we have. Here, Brother Arkadi presents for us the fact that the seed, the grain, is simultaneously also a fruit. This fruit is the seed of truth, and it is the seed of truth and the fruit of truth. In other words, the seed of truth in the format of the resurrection of Christ the fruit itself is resurrection because we offer fruit only in the resurrection of Christ. The seed is called to end up in the soil and die. For what reason? In order to offer fruit. In what kind of soil? A prepared soil. We must prepare our heart to hear the word of the Lord. And when this seed finds its place in us and dies, and the Lord sees this and says that the seed of truth is already found in the state of resurrection. And therefore, what is the fruit of righteousness? It is the seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ. And if a person does not have this fruit of righteousness, then he does not have the seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ, which is the fruit of righteousness. And therefore, such a person does not have the legal right to speak and to call the inexistent heavenly body as already existent. Only the presence of the fruit of righteousness gives the legal and lawful right to say, I thank you, Lord, that in your Son, Jesus Christ, and I am able to call the inexistent as existent body, as already existent, renewed in the resurrection of Christ. Again, to have the fruit of righteousness is the seed of truth in the state of the resurrection of Christ. This is our death in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we pray? I thank you, Lord, for our calling to be clothed as warriors of prayer in the dignity of kings, priests, and prophets, anointed by the Holy Spirit to declare to reign the kingdom in our body. We thank you for the calling, and then afterwards, this will be our dedication, each of our individual dedication. And to become a king, we need to be born in a royal family. Show me this royal family. Show me this royal family, where it lives, what it lives by. And the Lord has shown to his favorite disciple, John, on the island of Patmos, where she lives. Go, and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. And he lifted me up to the great and high mountain. He had showed me the great mountain, Jerusalem, which came down from heaven. We must grow and be disciplined and to rule over ourselves, firstly. And not just go from dirt to a prince. We have to grow. to become a royal priest. This is tied to the great feat of discipleship. Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, each of us have been bound to the great feat of faith. There is an expression. In the life of a Christian, there is always a place for feet. This is to become a disciple, the great feat of faith. Therefore, we are studying the argument according to which the Lord will hear us and come out to meet us. And these will be great, uh, the correct relations with God. 
The second argument is that David told the remembrance of the ancient works and all the works made by God in these days. And we have noted that this is an important component of the truth and righteousness in which David dwelled, which he brought to God in prayer as a certain argument, saying, Hear me because of the remembrance of the ancient days and all your works made in these days. Talking about this, he had all this in his heart. He kept it. He kept what was in his remembrance and his imaginative thinking. But this first had to have been placed there first. This was already sealed on the tablets of his heart. So this was continually in his memory. And therefore, to keep in our memory the remembrance, the works of God and all the works done in these days, this is, in fact, to keep in our heart the truth and righteousness, which testify before the Lord of the result of the great work of redemption, that give God the opportunity to show in our heart the multitude of His mercies. In other words, says Pastor, in order for us to be heard by God, it is necessary to keep in our keep on our memory the works of God which He made in the days of the old, and therefore we arrived at the need to study the following questions: First, who or what by nature is a remembrance of God's works in the days of the old? This, of course, we know is found in our heart. Second, what purpose is a remembrance of God's works in the days of the old called to fulfill? Third, what price must we pay to remember God's works in the days of the old? And fourth, what results will follow after discovering in ourselves a remembrance of God's works in the days of the old? All that has been created there will come a time when before God will, will be presented all the works done by man. What's very important is that a person whose works of God were engraved in his memory, then God, this kind of a person, will transform into these works that have already been made by him. Thus, a person will enter into the fulfillment of his calling and will become perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. If he is going to carry in his heart the figurative thinking, this is that which God has done in the days of the old. Therefore, looking at the fourth question, what is it, or looking at the first question, what is the remembrance of God's works, its properties and definition? And we came to the conclusion, and Pastor provides this definition. Remembrance is that storage or well of information and impressions that we received from the physical and spiritual dimension from our genetic lineage of our forefathers and the events of the past and present. You know that a child already born, having not yet spoken anything, he already carries in himself this program, the information of the sinful life of his forefathers, starting with Abraham, coming down to his parents. God and devil also have their own personal program, and they both engrave it. Devil writes his program through sin since the day that Adam fell, and God, the day which a person came to him, repented of his sins, made a covenant, rejected the vain life of his forefathers, his genetics, and his corrupt lusts and desires, acknowledged the theocratical order of God, and became a disciple and a living cell in the body of Christ. And only then God begins to write. Imagine a person had to 
uh, to endure before he arrived at this, how much and how much devil has already written. According to scripture, the remembrance contained in a person defines the core of this person as well as his sovereign boundaries. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23.7 I This place of scripture brought me great turmoil until, until a certain time. I always... I always thought I have awful thoughts in myself. Here is the comfort. Keeping the Lord defines us according to the sheep that we have in our spirit. He does not judge us. The Lord defines our quality according to those thoughts that we ourselves cultivate in our thinking and carry out in our heart. And in order to cultivate our thing, it is necessary to dig it up with the Word of God, to become one with it. This right now, we are talking about the saints of God. And he who has unclean thinking, then so is he. Even if clean thoughts come, he can't tend them. He can't tend them because his food and his thoughts is only for the swine, and therefore clean thoughts don't find themselves very long in him. Therefore, these thoughts that come, they are not ours. Considering that remembrance is the information contained in the format of thoughts, it follows that keeping on the tablets of our heart and then proclaiming before God the works done by Him in the days of the old, we first are transform ourselves into the image of our thinking, because as He thinks in His heart, so is He. And He yields in our heart the works of God done in the days of the old, keeping on the tablets of our heart and then proclaiming before God the works made by Him in the days of the old, and in doing so we are transformed into the image of our thinking. For as He thinks in His heart, so is He. And on our end, this is expressed in the right, and the right that we give to God, the right to interfere in our life with His mercy and His truth. Jonah 2.7 When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. You know that human nature itself does not desire to have in its memory the remembrance of the works of God made by Him in the days of the old, because for it, it is like death. A person is more inclined to the information that brings his his emotions to to boil, and his life passes in such a way, as if in God, but it is not so, and religious life never passes in God. We can be so-called Christian all of our life, but at the same time not be a Christian. The Lord lives in His Word, His actions, and a person instead of this has completely different information, information of the works of man in the heart. He wakes up with them in the morning, and he goes to sleep with them. Yes, he reads the Word of God, but this Word must live in a person. It must be a living partaker to our day, and not just to be some kind of dry text of Scripture. And it's important for this Word to be preached and spoken, by the person that is empowered to do so, that is vested with the power to do so, and therefore, then, in the format of a seed, it can end up in the good soil of our heart, which 
When we hear a certain principle of truth, we say, let it be to me according to your word. This is for me. I accept it. And only then it is necessary to keep this word and be fed by it. And not to say, this was uh, this was some time ago. Now the eyes are different. We must look with the eyes of today. Thus, a person cultivates the remembrance of the works of human works. And we will remember that according to our opportunities and capabilities, which the Lord has laid in us from the moment of creation, we cannot keep in our heart the works of God and at the same time simultaneously keep the works of man in us. We can keep the thoughts of God if we nourish and cultivate our inheritance. There are two actions, either progress or regress. Progress, we move forward. Regress, as we fully lose what we once had. Growth in the spirit goes either up or down. It never stops at one in one place. We must look at the invisible, and this is progress. And that which the Lord has made in the days of the old is information, which must be known to us, which we must place into our heart, and which we must ponder about continually. Then all of the biblical events will stop being simply historical events of the past for us. Preachers must not provide courses for place of scripture. For me, there are like courses, like from one place of scripture to another. Everything that happened in the old also highlights what is done today. Furthermore, a pastor says that keeping in our heart the remembrance of the works of God made in the days of the old, we erase from our memory the deeds of people and information that was passed down from the sinful life of our forefathers. When I had rejected the vain life of my forefathers, I thought right away, okay, now that's it, everything's going to be different. Now, everything with me will begin at a blank page. I became free from this program, and I was clean as, as glass. But I didn't know that we simply, at this moment, received the right to blot, received the right, and nothing else. Today, as we say, the right to power is the right to anointing. And this had shocked me. And as soon as I had rejected the vain life, then the, all of the dirt, began to arise, which I had not seen anymore. I began to cry out, Woe to me who would deliver me from this death. What is the program of the vain life of our forefathers? This is like a supermarket where everything from A to Z can be purchased. All illnesses, all losses, destruction, unbelief, and of course, retribution for sin. And when I rejected all of this from this inheritance, I I accepted the program of God and the program of the vain life of our forefathers tries to bring us down but we every day say I thank you Lord that you have delivered me from the vain life of my forefathers and this army again freezes on the horizon of our thanksgiving and prayer it's like we look at a program on the television and we hit pause as soon as I speak the correct words, this army is frozen. If we stop thanking God that He has delivered us from the vain life of our forefathers, if we stop watering what we have heard, what we have accepted, what we live by, this pause ceases and the army once again will begin to resist us and oppose us with greater strength. And then you think, oh Lord, I never had this inside of me. Yes, it was in you, except you now have begun to war with it. But a pers- when a person has seen it, 
either has two decisions to to die to it or to not we have a new program and a new thinking there is a big also but two opposing programs in one programmable device do not work therefore having accepted the preached word that come from the lips of the person of God that is based on the remembrance of the works of God and simultaneously blotting out the vain life of our forefathers with its baggage and I don't just simply place it on pause I say I reject And each day it is necessary to thank the Lord that He has delivered me from the vain life of my forefathers, however holy they may have seemed to me. And there will come a day in our life when our spirit, soul, and body are going to be clothed in the resurrection of Christ. We need to take off the garments of the old man. First it is necessary to take off the old man with his works and only then renew our thinking and then begin to clothe ourselves into the new man. I had heard about these people that were previously in our church before and due to certain circumstances they had left it. And they left it because their relatives became important to them, their dear ones, their children, their friends. And they said, we are not going to be able to pay a price. This is our family, our blood. For us, this is precious to pay such a price. But we must understand that this is the decision of every person individually. And nobody will be able to blame God of this. Therefore, when we, as Brother Akadi said, when we focus our thoughts and our eyes on the works of man, we blot out the works of God in our heart. And thus, we deprive ourselves of the right to eternal life, and we subject ourselves to perdition in the lake of fire. Keeping in our heart the remembrance of the works of God made by Him in the days of the old is, in fact, the decision and role and responsibility of man himself and not God. The remembrance of man in itself is the weapon of man. And if we deprive his memory, or we deprive him of his memory, he will look like a destroyed city. Psalms 9, 6. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. The memory has perished because the city was had perished, was destroyed. The remembrance of God's works in the heart of a person is passed down like the inheritance of Christ from one righteous nation to another. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of your name to all generations. Psalms 102.12 From this place of scripture it follows that the remembrance of God is not passed along from reading scripture. We can inherit it, this remembrance when it is given from the Father to the Son, from one generation to another. Furthermore, in order for us to inherit the remembrance or the memory, the inheritance of Christ, it is necessary to have a father that can pass along this inheritance to us. Apostle Paul said, You do not have many fathers, even sending his disciples, apostles, to further cities. Although he personally was not there, he called himself their father. But there were those whom he sent as his helpers. And we should note, helper, the helpers that had preached there did not become sheep. Paul remained the father. Why? Because he had the seed of the word of God. And all of his helpers took the seed and they had watered it. And the waterers did not accept the position of the father. Paul remained the father. Therefore, remembrance is passed along from father to son, from one generation to another. Furthermore, a remembrance of God's works in the heart of man is God's holiness and the subject of his unfading glory. 
pay attention here to the fact that how pastor had defined that all that we have sealed in our heart in the format of the remembrance of God's works is hallowed unto God, holy unto Him and His glory. What's important? After we have sealed His words in our heart, it is important that we become like likened to this word and the Lord looks at us with His word which is found in us as hallowed unto Him. We took this word and He because this word is found in us, he identifies us with this word. Because this is a subject of his unfading glory. Can you imagine this? Psalms 34 says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. You give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. All of God's miracles made by him in the days of the old and engraved on the tablets of our heart are revelations that reveal who God is for us and what he has done for us. Psalms 111.4 he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Uh, upon studying the second question, what is the relation between God and redeemed man? Wh what is the remembrance of God's works called to do in the days of the old, sealed in the tablets of our heart? We, in a certain format, have already looked at three components that serve as remembrance before God and have stopped to study the fourth component. This is the breastplate of judgment. And so the fourth component of the purpose of the remembrance of the works of God in our heart is called to be the breastplate of judgment on the chest of the high priest. This breastplate of judgment that was on the chest of the high priest differed from other items or other subjects which were always a remember which were also remembrance before God because this one served as a continual mem memory before God. All of the other subjects were also a remembrance of God. The Lord remembers those whom he has a covenant with. He remembered Abraham, and according to this covenant, he brought Lot out from Sodom. Remember, the Lord remembered Abraham about the new man, about the spirit. And he brought the land of Israel out of Egypt. The promise wasn't to the people, but to Abraham that he would lead him out. Therefore, the Lord remembers about those saints with whom he has a covenant and a covenant in the heart. And this covenant Abraham had carried in his heart. And therefore, that which he carried in his heart gave God the opportunity to fulfill it. And what is important is that Abraham had died, yet God continued and continues to fulfill this covenant. Because for God, and as our Abraham, our father, this word given to him passes along to us. You must remember the word, and he remembered. This does not mean that God had previously forgotten and then all of a sudden remembered. The breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual memorial before God is the image of the format of a constant prayer before God. The breastplate of judgment was necessary to enter into the presence of God. A person found in infancy, a carnal person, cannot enter into the presence of God. Remember, for the virgins to, uh, like in the story of Esther, for them to be before the king, what had had to happen? How much time had to be spent for this? What kind of counsel she had to take? when for 12 months she had prepared herself with oil 
six months with one oil and six months with other oil. Then the virgin had entered before the king. Whatever she asked was given to her. This is the time of today as well in which we are immersed in the subject of these 12 teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which we drench our spirit, soul, and body, understanding the law of blessing and curse. And for some, this is just the story of Esther, and this kind of a person remains in infancy in a carnal nature and cannot enter into the presence of God. It is She is not a, an example for him. They are not kings and priests. These people always represent their will and not the will of God. And the will of God will be represented only by a spiritual person when he comes to the fulfillment of his calling to be a warrior, prayer, and the identity of a king, priest, and prophet. This subject that laid on the, uh, that was the breastplate of judgment, differed from, differed from other items because it was a continual prayer before God. The material means size, measurement, we can receive only one way, through instruction and faith. But to lay it in our heart, this is our holy role and our responsibility before God. And therefore, the breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual remembrance before God is the image of a continual prayer. Prayer that does not coincide with the requirements of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be a prayer. Only the format of a continual prayer gives us the right to enter into the sanctuary as kings and priests to God that are called to represent the interests of the judgment of God according to those commandments and statutes which yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh in the twelve precious stones and the twelve names of the sons of Jacob that were engraved on these stones. Colossians 4.2 Be continual in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, and because on the breastplate of judgment there were twelve, there were twelve names. This is def- identifies a certain program with certain functions, and all of them collaborate with one another. And each function does not replace one another, but collaborates with it. And if one function or if one stone is taken from this breastplate of judgment, then it will stop being a breastplate of judgment. It will lose its wholeness. Everything must work strictly and in balance. Therefore, consistence or continuity in prayer is tied to vigilance, which is presented in the status of the faithful commandment that defines the state and atmosphere of our burning lamp. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man pastor had paid attention to the fact that the 24 hours a day we ought it is impossible to be vigilant if a physical physically a person is doing this he needs to sleep then the spiritual heart we know does not sleep the spiritual man does not sleep he does not have day or night we ought to fall asleep with our ponderings upon the word of god and therefore, when we fall asleep, our spirit is vigilant. Songs of Solomon, I sleep, but my heart is awake. This is that time 
when the Lord continues to work with the heart of man. It is if I go to sleep with him and I wake up with him. And we can understand this through our renewed thinking, that we have received something in the night. And these thoughts during the day we begin to see and understand. The order of the breastplate of judgment yields how, what, how, when, and why to meet the requirements of a worshiper which the Lord is searching for himself. Only the breastplate of judgment will identify us as worshippers of God. If we break the order of this sequence, then the breastplate of judgment that yields a state in nature of a worshiper cannot be called the breastplate of judgment. John 4, 23-24 But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. What is amazing is that these words were turned not to the apostles, but to the Samaritan woman from the city of Samaria. These words identify the essence of worship. And at that time, there was a service done in the temple, and people couldn't worship where they wanted to. They worshipped only in the temple. Therefore, when the Samaritan saw a prophet in him, and her first question was, tell me where to pray. Because you Jews say that worship must happen only in the temple. But our fathers say that worship must happen happen in the Mount Gerizim because they accepted the God of Israel, but they did not worship in the temple. So they built their own temple near on Gerizim. Having been circumcised, but the Jews still had not accepted these people. In doing so, they violated the law of God that was given through Moses, that everyone who is circumcised will be like an inhabitant and will be considered a Jew. But they had not accepted this before, and today don't accept this. Yes, in Israel, any man can be circumcised, but he will never be acknowledged and allowed to service and his children, grandchildren, also will not be allowed. Was this what the Word told us? Even those that come to Israel today, they are given a different title. And they are not allowed to serve in the synagogue. Therefore today, Orthodox Jews, they separate themselves. And to worship the Father in spirit and truth, we ought to be a true worshiper according to the state of our heart expressed in our motives in which a man speaks truth in his heart, as well as according to the proclamation of the state that yields the faith of his heart, which in practice means to not, destroy, to not distort the word of truth as many do today. Usually this is done due to ignorance or due to hypocrisy or due to envy. And therefore, to be vigilant in prayer and thus to meet the requirements of the state of a true worshiper, we begin to look at the breastplate of judgment 
in the sequence in which it is presented in Scripture. Exodus 28, 15-16 says, You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. We have already noted that in the Septuagint, the breastplate of judgment is called a sign of justice. Septuagint, we know, is a translation, and any kind of translation is an interpretation. Previously, when pastor would say something, and a certain definition, I would go home, open, I would look at six or seven definitions, and then I caught myself, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? When you need to translate something, note that pastor stops, and he provides a translation of this place of scripture. An exact translation, we must understand scripture and the spirit of it. A translation of the spirit of scripture and not the letter. The spirit that is going to bring life, this is the essence that we look into. Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a new translation. All of the places about triplicity, about the teaching, in their translation do not exist. Even if he knows this Bible, you can't tell him because they don't have this in their Bible and they call it Holy Scripture. They call it a new translation. This is man. God is not present in such a translation. That's why we look to the spirit of Scripture and we hear this every service. Therefore, the breastplate of judgment is called a sign of justice. It finds its expression in the conscience of a person that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Though it is going to be sealed through the teaching of the cross of Christ, only through the cross of Christ, all of the teachings can be present in the tablets of our heart. And if, if this is not there, then the full knowledge of the teaching of Jesus Christ cannot be acknowledged. Only in this way, a conscience cleansed from dead works will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. And only such worshippers the Father searches for Himself. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. John 4, 23-24 Based on this, we see that God is found in a continual search for these kind of worshipers. And ignorance and the knowledge of truth expressed in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh will not allow man to worship in the flesh in his conscience that has not been cleansed from dead works. Because in his conscience there lacks the truth in the subject of the breastplate of judgment which would define his right to enter into the presence of God in order to represent the perfect will of the Heavenly Father. As much as God has allowed us in the measure of our faith, we looked at the measure of material out of which the breastplate of judgment was called to be made, and we stopped to look at the next requirement of the breastplate of judgment. This states, And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald, 
This shall be the first row. The second should be a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. I want to remind you that all of the names were engraved on the stones that were turned to the heart of a person. He who looked at the priest would not see these names. He would see the illumination of these stones and no more. These stones were called to be placed in 12 golden settings. And the essence of this is the word of God that we hear, the teaching itself. And each of us individually, we are these precious stones. Each of us works with our stone. We do not carve the golden settings to fit the stones, but we carve our stones to fit the settings so that we can collaborate with the Word of God, so that we can collaborate with God's definitions, with His definition of the essence of the teaching. Therefore, it's necessary to prepare in the breastplate of judgment the twelve precious stones. This is our work. These are not artistic masters that would prepare this. This is today. We come here and we prepare. We, each one who is a living cell in the body of Christ, we are this. Are these artists. The twelve golden settings is the image of the judgment of God and the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, written on the tablets of our heart which we as worshippers of God are called to represent in our continual prayer. The twelve precious stones with the engravings and of markings, the twelve names of the sons of Israel, is an image of our prayer that represents the perfect judgment of God. In practice, the continual prayer that represents the perfect judgments of God is called to occur through the proclamation of the faith of our heart. I think that I will conclude at this because this is rich material and to look at the next stone, topaz, will not happen. I think if this is, if it is allowed, we will continue this. I think that which we heard today for us, this is a very important word, which was accepted by our pastor, which was passed along to us with love and trembling, desire for us to look into this word, for us to collaborate with it, for us to become one with it. Not because when we sit here, collaborate, we take notes, we ponder, but for this to be a background in offices or organizations. If you go into the office and there's music playing in the background, either waterfall noise or, in, or, or a song, light noise, then we must have this continually in the format of our pondering. Whatever we do, we have a background going on, us pondering over this word. In a certain moment, this thought th comes. Pay attention to this. Look at this. And it will shine for us, glitter. And Pastor said, I will go. I will take a pen. No. When we are vigilant, we will see this, and this is going to 
bring fruit in our life because when we come to this ourselves you know there's something that is gifted there's something that is brought that which we paid a price for it is more valuable for us because this is our labor this is our relationship and we will value this cherish this therefore that which pastor has presented to us this is our labor and we must collaborate with it and to collaborate with it means to be not someone that is on it's not welfare it's not a program this is collaboration partnership collaboration this means that we in full peace both ends we begin to collaborate and that's why we are offered and we have the great privilege to collaborate with this material which can fill us in such a way that we ourselves will be amazed by this therefore we will thank god and amen let us pray Dear Heavenly Father, from this holy place, we turn to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, your only Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this place, which we are found, which your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for this temple of God, in which you are present always. We thank you, Lord, that upon this place dwells your fear, and this means dwell your truths, which the man of God represents. And we thank you for this opportunity to partake of your word that has become a light on our path. For we have hated the laws of man, but we have loved your law with all of our heart and are found and dwell in it day and night. You have given us the opportunity to not rely on the power of our intellect, but to acknowledge what the man of God is saying and the word that he is saying, it rules over us. It governs our new man. This has opened the opportunity for us to enter our calling and to be clothed in the warrior prayer and the dignity of kings, priests, and prophets. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, and giving us authority over our body. We thank you for this care that you provide to each of us individually. We thank you that you have delivered us from the vain life of our forefathers, that you have delivered us from the law of sin and death and gave us the new law, the spirit of life. We bow down to you for this. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to you. We hold on to the confessions of our faith unceasingly, for faithful is he who has promised to fulfill this in our life. We thank you, Lord, for the destruction of the power of death and sin which captivate, which holds us captive. May all of our enemies be destroyed in all spheres of our life and the, let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. And we thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus Christ we can collaborate with your wonderful names. You have become the Lord our strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, rock, of Israel, shield, horn of our salvation, stronghold, and we will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and you will deliver us from our enemies. We thank you, Lord, for this, for as the Lord lives, our stronghold, you, Lord, are our help, 
that has uncovered himself for us through your names. The stones of your altar are gathered, and we are again immersed in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. We thank you, Lord, for this holy food that you have prepared for your holy nation. We bow down before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory and unblemished joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.